How many of you guys like Feisty Dina? I like Feisty Dina. The day I stopped talking about money, you should go somewhere else. I love that. I was like, that's my wife. That's my wife. We, uh, we set up a bunch of extra chairs and you guys filled them again. So happy Palm Sunday. Uh, next week, just so you know, the altar will be about here, I think. We're going to set up chairs and we've got a choir out. Oh, it's just going to be so good. Next week's going to be so good. So anyway, good morning, everybody. Online, radio, live stream. Mississippi, and that other foreign country, Grand Blank. We are glad that you're with us today. Last week, we made some observations from the book of Nehemiah, and I want to get right into this today, because we're going to try to kind of fit in almost like two messages. One's going to be theological. Everybody say theological. You said that with some great enthusiasm. The other one's going to be more observational. Say observational. You're more excited about the theology. Okay, good. So we, we got into this, and we started to understand some things, that there was a process that God was putting people through in the days of Nehemiah. One was he wanted them to know who he had made them to be. And, and we talked about that. We'll review in just a moment. But the second thing was he wanted to place them into a community so the community together could pursue Christ. One of the things I love about the local church is at its best, at its worst, it's a disaster. Somebody say, oh my, right? But, but at its best, it's, it's people with this one heart, this one mind, seeing needs, loving each other, coming early and finding people that need some love, staying late and, and finding people, you know, I raised my hand, but I don't, I don't know what to do next. It's just, it's a beautiful living family of people saying we love Jesus. Now, we don't all vote for the same person. We don't all cheer for University of Michigan, although there is an altar to repent at today, if you'd like to repent of being Ohio State fans and other lesser teams, we get that. But it, it, like, there are things that we would divide on, but the neat thing is Jesus is so important that regardless of our divisions, he keeps us unified because he's more important to us than the other stuff, right? So the community that belonged to God. So, and we made these three observations. Number one was this. When God restores a person, he often does it by engaging their purpose. How many of you guys know that if Christianity deals with our past but doesn't present to us our future, it's, it's only part of the message Jesus wants us to have? Does that make sense? So yeah, I, had, I raised my hands, I said a prayer, my sin's forgiven, and then I went back to a life that still doesn't make any sense, that still wants to encourage me to buy this and do that and get flat abs and, you know, and, and it's all trying, all this marketing. Listen, the difference between communism and consumerism is what's trying to enslave you. And my, my notes just went out and now they're back. That was, I, that, you thought it was a long pause, like a dramatic moment? No, I just didn't know what to say next and now... And so whoever did that, hey, you're fired. I'm going to miss you, but thank you. Thank you, right? So we ask those questions, right? What, what did God save you from? We want to hear your testimony. But the second question, we should all get good at asking one another and those around us that claim Christ as Savior, is what do you believe God saved you for? Not just what God saved you from. That's a great question. But what do you think God saved you for? If my sins are forgiven and I'm just waiting, this isn't, this isn't a mission field. This is a waiting room. How many of you guys know waiting rooms were not made for people with ADD? And my notes just went out again. But you're waving your hand at me. Just one minute? Okay. <gasps> People on live stream going, what? What is happening? Okay, it's back now. Hey, and by the way, can we give our creative arts people a... a Thank you, guys. That was your farewell offering. <laughs> so when God restores a person, 
deals with the past, but also deals with the future. When God restores a person, he often connects them with others with a common purpose. In, in Nehemiah's day, it was called the remnant. But in our day, it's called the ecclesia. It's called the church, man. It's the group of people that come together because of Jesus to figure it all out, to move together and what our purpose is together. And then the last thing we talked about is he's not using us to build this local church. I, I know sometimes it's like you know, we receive an offering. We talk about services to invite your friends to. We talk about outreaches we're doing and ministries that are happening. It's like, man, the church seems like it's always asking for something. We, we are not asking for anything except for you to decide who God made you to be and join us wherever it fits. That makes sense? So these are, not, these are not like offerings. These are opportunities. These aren't announcements. These are invitations. This is, this is those that will connect in a Bible study that wouldn't connect in a, in a missions trip. And those who connect in a construction-based missions trip that would never connect to a 5.30 in the morning coffee. And those who connect to the 5.30 in the morning coffee group that really want to get deeper into the hermeneutics of Luke and historiography. Like, it doesn't matter what we're pursuing as long as we're pursuing Jesus. And there's a place where we get to receive what we need and give who we are in meaningful ways. Say amen, right? So Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. We're going to begin there <clears throat> this morning. Jesus is answering the devil. He's being tested. He's being tempted um, uh, privately, unlike my test this morning. He's being tested privately in the wilderness, and, and he's starving. Now, how many of you guys have ever heard somebody say, I'm starving? He's literally starving. For 40 days, he's not let a calorie pass his lips. There's an appetite for the first three to five days. It's pretty normal and pretty uncomfortable, and your brain goes, hey, we need food. Hey, food, 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 food. But then it goes away as your metabolism changes, as things begin to adjust, as you kind of begin that fast proper, they call it medically. And when, you, when it comes to the end of that, where there's no more spare calories, your body begins to meticulously and extraordinarily painfully eat itself. It starts this process of malnourishment, this process of eating the glands that put pigment in your hair so your hair turns red or other things. But it's in pain. Your body is consuming its own proteins, its own calories, its own life, right? So when it says Jesus was hungry, it doesn't mean he was hungry. It means he was starving. So the devil comes to him much like he's going to today after church for you and say, you know, if you really are the son of God, then why don't you turn these stones into bread? Why, why don't you, like I know your father, I know you were led by the spirit here. The spirit gave you a direction. The spirit gave you a promise. The wind blew you towards this, this experience and here you are. But I'm saying just cut it short, man. Like just do whatever. And this is what Jesus says. Get this. He, um, oh, there's a second thing. He says, man shall not live on bread alone. Read it with me. But on every that comes from the, okay. Jesus is basically saying, I'd rather starve to death in obedience than to listen to you. I'm not going to listen to you. It's the Spirit that promised me. It's the Spirit that sent me. It's the Spirit that led me. And it will be the Spirit that tells me when it's time to eat again. But regardless of the discomfort of my life, this is what it is. Now, what's happening here is he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. This is theology. You guys ready? Reading about 20 scriptures. Are you guys got your thinking caps on? So Deuteronomy 8.3 says, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Back to Matthew 4.4, man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is the difference between those two verses? Yeah, the word Lord and the word God, which is a a translational issue. It's theos in the Greek is is Matthew 4, and it's um, uh, Yehovah, we say Jehovah in in Hebrew and Deuteronomy 8.3. But there's a different difference that makes a lot of difference to us. And it's this. Moses, when he says in Deuteronomy 8.3, man should not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, the sentence, that structure that anchors that thought is based in the noun of the word. In other words, a noun is a person. Okay. 
We, didn't, we got C's in like algebra, but we had Schoolhouse Rock to get us through English, right? So he's talking about this thing that has been past tense established. It's a noun. Jesus, when he says it in Matthew 4, 4, he says, man should not live alone, uh, by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's in the verb tense. Now you say, what's the difference between a noun and a verb? A noun is what is. A verb is what is. Is. A noun is what you are right now. A verb is what is happening in children's ministry right now. We are established. We are here. We are firm. But a verb is something that's happening. So please hear this. What Moses is saying is, man shall not live by bread alone, but by the laws that God has given me on Mount Sinai that I have now delivered to you. That is the word of God. Jesus says, not only is that the word of God, are you guys getting this? But he also says, God's not done talking. God's still talking as I am speaking because I am the word of God in verb form. Does this make sense? So here's the other part. God's not done speaking. See if you can help me out with a sentence. God the Father has spoken, right? God the Son is speaking. God the Father, God the Son, and we'd expect the Holy Spirit to speak. Well, we find this in Romans chapter 8 and various verses. But the Spirit himself, identity, not, he's not an it, he's not the force, Luke, but the Spirit himself testifies. He speaks with our spirit that we are God's children. Revelations 2.29 and throughout the first three chapters of the book of Revelations. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says. So God the Father spoke, yes? Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that God has spoken to Moses. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that Jesus spoke as a foundation for our feet. And man should not live by bread alone, but by every word the Spirit of God continues to speak. And I want to show you something that I think is important. And why is this important? It's because you were created to live. As Jesus means the word live. As Moses meant the word live. As, as throughout Scripture, and I believe today as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts, you were created to live from the promises of God. You're supposed to know what he wants for you. You're supposed to know who to connect to, the next to, as our sermon series is called. You're supposed to know who's next to you and who you are next to and who you do life with and how, how life is to function. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus talks about the word again. He says it in these words. He says that, Anyone who hears these words of mine, this teaching, this rhema word, this man should not live by bread alone, but by these words, words, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the, the rock. So the rain comes, the winds blow, they beat against that house, but the house stands because it has the foundation of the teachings of Jesus. Are you still here? But the man, anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And so the rain comes down, the wind blows, beats against the house, and the house falls down with a mighty crash, right? So understand this, and here comes an interesting question that you never hear asked. How many guys agree that the Word of God is the foundation of what we build in this life? You agree with, do you see that? Deuteronomy 8.3, right? By, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 4.4, 4, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus says, and these words of mine are foundation. And here's the question we don't ask. If the words of Jesus are the rock on which we are to build our house, what is the house we're to build made of? And, and I want to be careful. We're still teaching theology here, but I think it's rare, uh, a rarer teaching that I like it to be. So the silence is kind of fun. It's a little bit stunned or maybe it's deep. I don't know. I'll try not to figure out what you're doing because I can't see you anyway. So I assume you're like nodding your head going, oh, amen. 
I just assume you're all my mother, Miss Pat. But if, if we know the teachings of Jesus are the foundation, we agree with that? We know that we're not going to have a life outside of the life that we live based on what God has said, what Jesus was saying, and what the Spirit continues to say. We have the noun, we have the past tense verb, and we have the verb in the continual tense of the Spirit. Still here? So if, if that is what we're supposed to build our house on, what is the substance of the house we build? And my contention is this. I believe that the house we build on the rock is our obedience to the direction of the Holy Spirit. It's the commandments, it's the unctions, it's the promises, it's the perceptions, it's that, that sense of discernment, it's that sense of joy, it's that sense of prohibition. I believe that if we're going to offer to God something, obviously our lives will be offered to him someday as a final offering. We'll stand before the Lord, we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or eh, too bad, and there is no playing again. So in this, what are we presenting to God? We're, we're building something on what he has said, yes. There's wisdom, it's in Proverbs, there's heart, it's in Psalms, there's, there's law, it's, it's in the first five books of the Bible. There's inspiration, there's teaching and understanding, insight into the kingdom of God, all the, the New Testament teachings, and the Spirit continues to tell us. In other words, think of it this way, the, the Bible will tell us things like, you should marry a person like this, or a person has character like that, or does these things, or prohibits these things in their own life, true? But it, the Bible won't tell you which girl to marry, it just tells you what kind of girl to go looking for. So what do you have? You've got the Holy Spirit saying, aha. Like when I met Dina, she was not the first girl I met. Adam meets Eve, goes, wow. Well, compared to what? <laughs> I had lots to compare to. And, I, and this was kind of, hey, and ooh, and wow. And I, I met Dina, I'm like, uh-huh. Uh-huh, why? Because a part of me already knew a part of her because the Holy Spirit had put her in my heart. So I was obedient to keep myself in a position where I could give myself away as a spouse. I was obedient and built things on the foundation of Christ. I wasn't running after all kinds of weird stuff. I was a poor youth pastor serving Jesus in the, the mean streets of Mesa, Arizona. My neighbor was a crack dealer, and he didn't even rent the apartment. He just lived in it. You know what I mean? I, I was suffering for Jesus. But I, so I, was, I was building my house upon a rock that Jesus had given me. Do you see that? But the rock didn't, like, come with a wife. So the house that was built on that rock was led by the Holy Spirit, being a senior pastor. This may sound strange to you now after 27 years, but I didn't want to be a senior pastor. And there are some Mondays I still don't want to be a senior pastor. It's like you don't want to be a parent sometimes, right? Or a grandparent. Well, not a grandparent, but a parent. But I remember having this, this change in my heart. Like these kids are everything. I love these kids. I'm so happy. Prescott, Arizona. I got the perfect wife. Got the perfect kids. Got the perfect church. Got the perfect youth group. And all of a sudden my heart started to kind of go, but. I'm like, no, 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 no buts. No buts. My friends started becoming pastors. Like it's wonderful. Liars. Just they're all liars. I got my butt handed to me the first year that we were here. It was awful. Like if I, never mind. You don't want to know. It doesn't matter. It's wonderful. You should try it. So we started like entertaining the thought, right? And all of a sudden, we noticed that our hearts had changed. How many guys know it's not disobedience to be a youth pastor? It's not disobedience to be a pastor. It's not obedience to be a youth pastor or obedience to be a pastor. What's, what's important is not what are we doing, it's who told us to do it. And if we're obeying that voice, whatever we build on, it should be the words of Jesus. Like, I feel like the Holy Spirit said, you know, leave your spouse for no good reason and rob a bank. I just feel like that was the Holy Spirit. It's like, oh, no. How do I know it's not the Holy Spirit? Because it's not built on the foundation of the teachings of Christ. Does this make sense? Are you guys getting this? Good. Okay. That's your theology. So 
here's the question we have to ask is, how do we know when, the Holy, when it's the Holy Spirit's voice? When he's speaking to us, promising us, directing us, saying something to us, how do we know? Now, I'm going to go from theology. So far, we've had 20 verses, and it's been theology. And I want to be very clear. I'm going away from bedrock theology to just observational what I believe to be true. Did everybody get that? King James, Jim. So I, but this is something I've observed in my own life and in many lives I've written about in several books, and I, I think this is kind of true. It's true enough. I wouldn't say it if it wasn't true, but it's true enough. I think we should consider it. What is the process by which God makes us promises? How do we know? Because like, I don't have any promises. Well, maybe you don't like right now have this huge list of things you feel like God is directing you to and motivating you to, but how would you know when it's God's voice versus Ronco's voice to get you to buy the latest and greatest Ginsu knives? We need to have a discerning heart. We need to have an open heart. We need to have an open eye. We need to have an open ear so that as the Spirit of God speaks to the church, we can hear, right? So this is not universal, but this is a process that I believe I've seen many times come in stages. This is the way it helps me to kind of discern what's God's promises. Number one is this. It starts with something perceived. By something, I mean a need, a cause, an opportunity. In Dina's case, a girl, This existed for any period of time, a moment, a thousand years, and it comes to your attention, and it leaves this impression. Here's the part. It leaves an impression that lingers. I had hamburger last night. It left an impression. Until about two o'clock in the morning, that impression lingered. That's not what I'm talking about. There's a lingering, it drives Johnny crazy, like, just let me train you, eat wheat germ, and just, no more burgers. You look like a burger, Jim. Stop eating burgers. There was no cheese on it, Johnny. I'm just saying. It was, it was almost holy. I prayed over it so it was righteous, if nothing else. But there's this, there's this sense. There's this, like, I, I just, it never bothered me before, and now it bothers me. It never interested me before, but now it's interesting. It never caught my eye before, but now it catches my eye. Before, um, it, it just, it has this sense, like, I, I, it's lingering. Like, I can't shake it. It's, it's something that's been in my heart, but now it's on my heart. It's something I've seen, but now it's, I'm looking at things and I'm seeing through this to the other things. Does this make sense? Perceived. So David's delivering food. All of a sudden he hears this voice. Let whoever wants to da, 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 defy the armies of the living God. He goes, man, something's different about that guy's voice. Why? Because God had made him to kill that giant named Goliath. Everybody else heard it and went, oh, crud, that dude's huge. David heard it and went, oh, crud, that guy needs to die. Why? Because one was born for that victory. It, it, of course it affected him differently than everybody else because it wasn't anybody else's job to kill the giant. It was David's. And he perceived that voice as different than everybody else. Um, I think about Nehemiah, right? His buddy comes and goes, yeah, the walls are torn down, gates are burned with fire, it's awful. And he goes on his way. Nehemiah goes, I can't shake it. It's in my heart. I, I can't not think about it. You guys ever had that one? Sometimes that's sin, but sometimes that's the Holy Spirit. Can't not think about it. Every time I, I think it's ever like, uh, I didn't know there was such a thing as a real estate sign until I bought a house. Anybody else? Because you drove by them, you never saw them. But then all of a sudden you buy a house and, and you notice that half your town's for sale. How? Because you just, you know, you perceived it. It's on your heart, it's on your mind, it's, it's in your soul, right? Your spouse. So let me ask you this Is there anything that has come to your attention that you find yourself thinking about or dwelling on? Anything? Whatever ministry, whatever business, whatever invention, whatever relationship, 
whatever, whatever conceived notion that actually fleshed itself out in this world, it began as a perception of something that could happen. And someone looked at a field and went, eh. Someone else looked at a field and said, you know what, there should be a church on that property. And Effie Burke looked at the gravel pit that this used to be and that they used to burn the crosses for the KKK up there. And, and I, my Aunt Janet told me this. I know my mom's watching today, and I'm sorry, Mom. I'm sorry. I know somebody. I won't mention any names. It's too late. My Aunt Janet was asking me about where the church was in Fenton because they grew up out of Myers Lake. I said, oh, I know that piece of land. Yeah, that, all the kids used to go back there, and they, they'd neck. I'm like, by all those kids, do you mean, oh, yeah, your mother used to, oh, stop. And she, come on, man, I pray on that hill. It's bad enough I got a picture crosses burning up here and people with white hoods. Now I got to imagine my mom, never mind. It's just awful, right? Is there anything, like when Pastor Burke saw this, he didn't see a gravel pit that was known for sin. He saw a place where people could give their lives to Jesus, where heaven could come to earth. Why? Because he was supposed to. You know, when he, when he said he saw this property and they said we're going to move from downtown, the middle of everything, to here, the middle of nowhere, you know the church split over that? It's like, I, we're not going there. We've got the prime piece of real estate, a church that's known in our community, a building that's been there since the Civil War. He goes, yeah, I know, but there's just something about that field. How many guys know that just because you perceive it doesn't mean other people perceive it with you? Not everybody's at the burning bush when God speaks. But understand this, guys. If you perceive something, is there anything in your life right now? It's like, I, I just can't seem to, there just seems to be a need. There just seems to be an opportunity. She just seems to be awesome. He just seems to be the one. They just, I, I can't explain it to you, but I can't kind of stop thinking about it. You're still here. So what happens to that? It goes on from that, that first thing to prompted. The impression matures into the resolve that you can or perhaps must do something about this. This is normally a season. It's a season for prayer where God moves and molds the hearts through passion or pain. Hope, the biblical definition of hope, is birthed during the season, and from it, plans begin as God continues the necessary refinements of the heart. So let me ask you that question again. Do you guys get that? It's prompted. So here's the other question. If I press the button, something's supposed to happen. Is there a growing passion or pain in your life that you find yourself thinking about, praying about, or talking about to others? Take a minute. Is there something like, you know, it's funny, I, I, you're right, I kind of had this, this impression, I kind of had this perceived, I kind of had this, you know, and, and you're right, now that I think about it, I am thinking about moving to Florida. As you mentioned, I, I kind of am thinking about starting a business. As you mentioned, I am kind of thinking about asking that girl to coffee. As you mentioned it, I am kind of thinking about, you know, um, leaving it all and starting this thing that's more on my heart than the thing that I'm doing now. I just, I kind of have this, this, I feel prompted, not just to think about it, but to maybe do something about it. How many of you guys know that's a scary time? I'll say something else, and I'll say this to you as your friend, okay? This isn't a pastor. I'm not teaching the Bible. I'm just, I'm just counseling or helping, hopefully, some wisdom for friends. Most dreams, I'd say 90% of dreams die right here. The dreaming has no calories. The dreaming has no cholesterol. The dreaming requires no budget. It's just dreams. When it comes time to do something, this is usually where most of the things that God plants inside of people's hearts are aborted because it requires a change, and it takes something. You get what I'm saying? It takes something to change. But I encourage you, if you're going to build something that you present to the Lord and hear, well done, good or faithful servant, we're going to have to take some risks. Come on. Come on, America. We're going to have to take some risks. We're all about capitalism. Well, what about building the kingdom? You think capitalism requires risks? Jesus sometimes requires our life. Sometimes requires our all. Sometimes Jesus said to people like, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Why the poor? Because they had need? No, because you ain't getting it back. 
Sell everything, give it to your brother-in-law. Well, we both know you're going to go back to your brother-in-law in a couple of weeks. But you give it to the poor, it's not coming back. And, and yes, it is to care for the poor. It's certainly the heart of God. But there are, I'm not saying to do that. I'm saying Jesus knew where people were going to get stuck. And before you were allowed to follow him, he unstuck you or you stayed stuck. But you're not coming with all your stuff. Listen, when you're going to follow Jesus, there will rarely be a U-Haul involved in that, in that move. Okay. Don't take it too literally. Last is this. There's something promised. Ben, join me if you would. An impartation that alters the course and capabilities. There's a grace that comes with this of your life to do something that comes from faith now imparted. At this point, not doing it would be failure or disobedience. Oh, come on. If you survive that, that, you know, perceived to prompted, if the dream lasts that long, if it gets through those barriers, if you allow yourself to believe it, to live it, to die for it, to live for it, to give towards it, to risk it, to talk about it, to pray about it, let it go from something here to something here to something here, you are, you've now positioned yourself for God to say, well done, and here's what's next. I want you You've been tested. I want you. you. You've been obedient. I want you to walk in this. Are you guys still here? Come on. Why would you say, why, why is this important? Why is this such a big deal? This is why. You ready? Because you were created to live from the promise of God. God the Father. Deuteronomy 8.3, yes? God the Son. Matthew 4.4, 4, yes? But whoever has an ear to hear, God's still building his kingdom. And God's still using obedient hearts. God's still using willing hands. And I just want to say this last, this last little thought before I share my other 14 last little thoughts. There's a lie that says you are disqualified because of what you've been through, because of what you've done, because of what someone has done to you, because of a lack of this or an abundance of that. Let me just say this to you. God will never put on your heart something that is impossible. It would be cruel. It would be cruel for a father to say, someday all this will be yours if he knows that there's no way for you to ever rule over all this. It would be cruel of God to say, one day you're going to get married, knowing that one day you're never going to get married. It would be cruel of God to give a dream that he couldn't fulfill. And so we are afraid sometimes about what we might lose. I'm afraid sometimes of losing what we might gain. And I would just say this to you, man. If you hold on real tightly to the things of this earth, you'll, it, it just it squeezes out of your hands, right? How many guys need more stuff? I, 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 this is not a money sermon. It truly is not a money sermon, although it really could be a good one. But that's not what it is. Do you know that, that the homes today, from the 1950s to today, so 70 years later, the homes are now three sizes larger, three times the size. And 10% of Americans, even though their homes are three times the size, rent some off-site storage for stuff that doesn't fit in their home is three sizes the size of their, of their grandparents. And 40% of Americans can't fit one car into their garage. You're laughing because you can't fit your car into your garage. But a garage sale, oh, no, no, just need more stuff. Giving it away? No, I need more stuff. I mean, if, a, if, a, if a group like this decided to just declutter our lives because obedience required it, not because we have to, we just decided to declutter it. We would overwhelm Salvation Army, Community Threads, United Way, and every other dispensary in our town. Why? Because there's a thousand of us. And if we all decided to get rid of everything except the 33 pieces of clothes we actually wear, 
That includes socks, underwear, shirts, pants, suit, tie, dress, 33, that's all we wear is 33 things over and over and over again, but we own 333 things, 100 things times 1,000 people is like 100,000 things. How many of you guys know the United Way is like Freedom Center? Stop bringing me underwear. <laughs> Community Threads, like stop. We don't, we don't want any more of your socks. And I'm not saying get rid of stuff. I'm simply saying this. Sometimes the things we're protecting aren't worth protecting. What we've gained versus what we've lost. So I just want to say this. If you, it's, boy, I said this right way. Let's do it this way. Those who live from their promises know the joy of being the fulfillment of what God has promised to others. I'll just end it with that. If, If we are obedient, if God says do this or don't do this or move here or don't move there, Invest in this or lay off of that. Vow your life to that one or be free from the one that you shouldn't be vowing your life to. If we're obedient to the, the perceived, the prompted, and the promise, and we're building our lives on this foundation of Jesus' words, Moses' words, how many of you guys know our life could be pretty exciting pretty quick? If we abandoned the dreams that culture says we should have. I said something earlier about communism. I don't know where that came from. Tom, what was that? Communism and, and capitalism? And what was it? I'm sorry, I said it. How many of you that when you're talking, you're not listening? I just heard you a minute. What was it? Okay, so consumer. So communism and consumerism just make you choose a different master. Is that what it was? Okay. Well, oh, you wrote it down, April. What is it? Read it to us. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I'm sorry. The difference between communism and consumerism is what enslaves you. Wow. I should figure out the Chinese characters of that and just put it on my arm. Right? Yeah, I said that. I heard it for the first time when it came out of my mouth. <laughs> so here, let's just say this. Let's just, let's just take the next little season. Between now and next Sunday. Next Sunday, there's some sort of event happening here. What is it again? Ah, Easter. Again, 80% of people you invite on Easter and say what to wear, where to meet, and what time it starts will say yes. I, I, I think we should become the fulfillment of what God has promised other people about salvation. We, we've got, it's still Kingdom Builders, are we still receiving Kingdom Builders type offering things? Yeah, being a, we haven't told it up quite yet. Is it next week or whenever it is? I don't know. And I can't see anyway, but I, right? Um, being an extension of God's promise to the people around you by having a conversation this week. Maynard family, you've been through this, right? It's like I, we had this life, we're teachers, but we had this dream. And it was the death of your father. So you know what, maybe it's time to start my dreams and, and kind of get rid of the comfortable, familiar. And now Maynard leadership is doing this. And I, I, so many dreams. I, I could just pick out people all over this room. Just understand this, guys. If you are where you are because you've obeyed a perceived, a prompted, and a promise from the Holy Spirit, you're doing really well no matter how you're doing. And if you're where you are, because you perceived culture, you perceived expectations of parents or professors or pastors, and you find yourself in a place that you really believe God never intended you to be, then even more so, you should be listening for God to change the direction of your life. So what's on your heart? What's on your heart? And when you find out what's on your heart, all of a sudden, God will begin this purposeful part of kind of moving you. And then all of a sudden, as you begin to talk and become and dream and pray, it's funny how as that comes out of your mouth, other people hear what you say. And they go, that's funny. I, I've always had a heart for, for Claire's Hope Type Ministry or Prison Project or Youth Ministry or whatever ministry you've got in your heart or business you've got in your heart or dream you've got in your heart to change the world because God commanded you, promised you that it would succeed. And you walk in that direction. It's funny. All of a sudden, you're next to the right people. All of a sudden, you're doing the right thing 
everything. All of a sudden, your life has a different purpose altogether. And as your friend, that's what I want for you. So being honest, are you where you're supposed to be? Not in church on Sunday morning. Are you, is your life positioned in a place that if your life were ended today, with pride, you walk before the Father? So you entrusted me with X number of talents. And here, I've taken what you've given me and I've multiplied it through trusting you, through serving with the right motives, by forgiving my enemies, by loving my neighbor, by making you first, by saying nothing is too great a cost to pay to stay in this position of obedience. Here, this is, this is yours. You're going to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. But if today my life ended, I'll be honest with you, there's things I haven't done yet that are not on my list to do. They're like my purpose for being. And I've got to do them. And if I don't do them, it'll be disobedience or failure. How about you? You know what I'm talking about? If I'm preaching to me, thank you so much for coming to my therapy session. I feel so much better. If you think we're done, come back to the second service. I might say something profound that I don't remember in the second service. We'll see what we learn. I just know this, man. If, we're gonna, if this is going to work, if this is not going to be a religious organization that has a weekly meeting where we have good music and good preaching, if this is going to be what Jesus meant when he said, church, we got to be in the right place. You got to be next to the people we're supposed to be next to. Right heart, the right mind, the right vision. And if we don't, I give you pastoral permission to change who you are, to be more like him. Stand your feet all over this room. Fear is the thing that keeps us from doing a lot of great stuff. Do you agree with that? What if often has more power than what is in our hearts? But what if I, but what if, but how do I, what if, what if my wife, what if my spouse, what if my banker, what if my, I, but if what if has more power in your life than what is the leading of the Holy Spirit, then you'll never be what you're supposed to be. You'll only be what you become. So don't be a consumer. Don't be a communist. Be a son. Be a daughter. Be an heir. The song has a great line in it. Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. I love that. And it's encouraging us to worship, but I think it's, it's more than that today. Come on, my soul. Come on, my soul. Come on, my soul. Don't, don't give up. Don't doubt. It's time to doubt our doubts. <laughs> it's, it's time to believe our beliefs. So, Father, I pray in this room right now that if those among us find ourselves in a place where we were never supposed to be, the good news is we're not disqualified from changing if time were over with, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't hear this. If time were over with, then um, words like this would be meaningless. But you've delivered these things, I believe, to us, God. So liberate us from the things that would enslave us. Liberate us from the things that make our hearts less free. Maybe sin isn't this gross immoral crossing of a line. Maybe sin are the little things that cool our passion for Christ. Whatever it is, God, we, we repent of those things now. And would you do that, church, right where you are? I know this, man. If we're going to be what God made us to be, we're going to have to learn to be very humble before our God, right? The fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of purpose. I don't mean be afraid of him. I'm like, just take very seriously what he says, what he does, who he is. In awe, God, we stand before you saying, if any wayward thing exists in us, then get it out of our way. I'd rather... I'd rather be obedient and have nothing than to be disobedient and have everything this world can offer. And I think, I think that's true for all of us. So we got to have courage to say some things, courage to do some things, courage to go some places, courage to get rid of some stuff, courage to buy some stuff, whatever it is. But let us be next to, let us be the person you called us to be, just like Nehemiah and his gang. 
and let us be next to the ones you called us to be next to. And that's what I believe you meant when you said, I will build my church. Your church knows who they are. Your church knows who to stand next to. Your church knows the directions of lives and how they interweave and create heaven on earth. So God, we offer you so much more than yesterday's offering, so much more than American Christianity asked for. We offer you lock, stock, and barrel. We are. Church, this altar is open this morning and I encourage you. Maybe it's just, if nothing else, to place your life in an offering plate. Maybe it's just to kind of find that space. Maybe God's dealing with your heart and you know it'd be better to move forward than to stay where you are. Maybe it's a metaphor. (laughs) Maybe standing where you're standing, doing what you've always done, singing what you've always sung has netted the wrong results. And by walking to this altar, it's a metaphor of what you intend to do before the Lord today. God, I'm moving from my place of comfort, my normal, my people, and I'm walking to an altar to give you all of my tomorrows. If your sin has been dealt with, hallelujah. What God saved you from? I'd love to hear that story. But once that story has been told, there'll be a second question. What do you believe God saved you for? God, to that end, we live now. We offer you our best. We offer you our best, God. We offer you our best. We offer you our best, God. Here's our heart. Here's our hands. Here's our lives. Here's our words, God. Here's our waking up and our lying down, God. Here's our lives. Here's our marriages. Here's our singleness. Here's our resources.